Yeah, and there's there's something with fighting too where it seems that people think that they can sometimes some people think that they can just walk into it and do it because they're really tough or they've been in street fights or things like that. So they kind of think that they they could just walk onto the thing and there's really no other sport I think that people and I say this to people sometimes like, "Well, so if you do you think you could just walk onto the NBA and play basketball with those guys or play tennis with whoever or so, well, no. Okay, so why why do you think you should why do you think you go into the UFC right now? If you I it's it seems silly, but I think they do see the final product and watch the ultimate fighter and and those things and yeah, I don't want to take away anybody's ambition or anything like that, but I'm just trying to explain like, look, you got to start, you got to start uh, building yourself first. That's the whole process. I feel like there used to be more of that idea, this idea of building yourself. What is up everybody? And welcome back to the Pohada podcast. We've got another booze with a black belt episode today with famous and infamous Nat McIntyre. Even though he's still a young man, we still had 40 years of kicking ass to talk about. From Taekwondo as a kid, Muay Thai fights in Thailand, and an uh, interesting experience in Russia, there was plenty to tell. Something tells me we need a second episode to cover the rest. Before we jump in, though, I once again want to thank the podcast sponsor Axon Movement here in Minneapolis. My guy Tim did a lot to help me improve this podcast, so if you've got a complex pain issue holding back your fitness, check out axon-movement.com. And as always, thanks to my lovely assistant, Polly, without whom we'd have a lamer place to record, less booze, and more awkward social moments, thanks to me. And without further ado, my conversation with Nat McIntyre. Nat McIntyre. Are you a Nathaniel? Yeah, I am, yeah. 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 We'll go with Nat. Yeah, Nat's easier. Yeah. You ever been in a fight? Yeah, a couple times. Not... Like a real, like a street fight? I'm going to leave that up to you. <laughs> uh, I think I had kind of a fight when I was in fifth grade. Okay, tell me about it. Somebody was bullying me, picking on me, and we squared off, and we kind of threw a few punches, and then we just sort of walked away. So that was about it. So that was the start of your journey <laughs> to being a black belt. The catalyst. I, you know... I, Honestly, so we talked about uh, me growing up in North Carolina. So I moved to Minnesota when I was 10, and I had a pretty thick southern accent. and Which I consider beautiful. Oh, I, I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. So that was the, I mean, that was what the kids went after, is that accent. Naturally. I mean, that was. I would Of course. Have. You would, of course, yeah. yeah. Who wouldn't? But it was, I mean, it's just so out in the open that they just went after that. So I think that that fight might have been over that accent or whatever. But, and I was little, I was really small, I was timid. So I think I got bullied more. And I think uh, watching martial arts movies, Kung Fu, uh, Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, all that stuff. So a lot of those movies too, if you you think about it, it's always it's always the something happens to the guy and he he's weak 
and he has to and he learns martial arts and builds himself up and becomes stronger and stronger and then overcomes whatever obstacle that is i that just completely appealed to me when i was a little kid yeah it's too bad it doesn't take two and a half hours <laughs> like it does in the movie yeah it <laughs> the takes a little bit longer storyline arc but i'll yeah. tell you you know honestly doing martial arts even just getting into it and then realizing that you can you can do something to empower yourself to make yourself stronger just that alone i think takes almost less than two hours because now you're like oh it's in my hands i can do something and that made all the difference in the world so as soon as i started training martial arts people didn't pick on me anymore and I think all I can think of is just how I started feeling about myself and carrying myself, maybe. I just felt better about myself. Um, and then that changed. And then some of, the, some of the people that bullied me are still some of my closest friends now. It just ended and we became friends and that was it. Hmm. So That's my current friendship model. I give people shit and then we hang out again and yeah. I give them shit again. Right, of course. And now, yeah, and now you're just uh you just give each other shit and talk shit and it's it's fine, but perfectly healthy. Yes. Yeah. Well, you you were talking about martial arts. What martial arts do you know? Yeah, nowadays like MMA or jiu-jitsu or fighting or whatever, but back when I was a kid, there wasn't a lot of options. So you were going to do karate, Taekwondo. I mean, those were the two main things that most people were exposed to. If you were lucky, you could, you know, you you did judo or you you were boxing or you were a wrestler and you didn't know you were doing martial arts, but you were. Uh, but yeah, it was Taekwondo. I mean, that's that's what I first started with. So lots of kicking, and that's your, that was really my only perspective of what martial arts is is kicking and punching. So I think back in the early '80s, that was. All through the eighties, that was really people's only perception of martial arts. The stuff know. they saw in movies and culture too. Totally. Yeah. When did you start that? How old were you? I was ten when I started doing that. So how many years have you been training for fighting? Well, since I was ten, I'm fifty one. So yeah, what's that? I failed math. Well, that's like twenty some years, I think. Yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long yeah. did you do Taekwondo? Oh, all through my teens, all through the, all through the eighties, I was doing that sort of off and on. And then, and then when I was probably 15, 16, I started taking it really seriously. Like I was, got really into it. I'm like, man, I, I really, I really dig this. I really want to take this seriously. So I started just training all the time, getting really into it. Just went full dork. Total full dork. Just- and I, honestly, it kept me out of trouble. I mean, I was still getting in trouble and stuff, but, and I mean, I almost got kicked out of school when I was, when I was like 12. So I had quit doing karate. So I started when I was 10, I did it for a couple of years and then started completely screwing up, stopped doing karate, started failing school, getting suspended, throwing rocks in class. I think I got suspended for that. Um, just, so you were like a 10, 11 year old boy. Without, exactly. Yes. Period. But yeah. also oh, yeah. without an outlet. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I was about to get suspended from school, and my my mom. I remember my mom was like, 
you're doing karate again. You're screwing up and you're doing karate again. So that's, was, that's a pro tip parenting, right? Dude, there. That your punishment I, needs to go and do karate. See, yeah. I think about that. Just think about that one mm-hmm. moment that she did that, how pivotal that was. So I, I think about that, how thankful I am for that. And she, and I just, I remember sitting in the car seat and I just went, okay. Cause I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was doing. I was 12. I had no clue what to do or, you know, but she gave me that direction. And then when I started doing it, I was like, yes, this is great. I just needed structure. You know, I just needed some discipline by people that I respect. You don't respect teachers when you're 12 yeah. in school. So you respect the karate instructor. So you can kick your ass. Totally. Really stern, strict. I was like, yeah, this guy's a badass. Yeah. You know, so good. It was so good for me. So, yeah, so I did karate all through my teens, and, yeah, it was kind of, you know, there were a few periods in there that were off and on, but for the most part, I stuck with it, and it really kept me in the middle of the road. And then in my later teens, I was like, yeah, this is, I'm taking this more seriously. Did you get pretty good? I was pretty good at Taekwondo. Yeah, I was pretty good. Compete and all that? I was doing some tournaments and stuff, but I wasn't as into that at the time. But what I really wanted to do was Kung Fu. That was like in the 80s. That was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I want to do Kung Fu. So I, I quit doing Taekwondo and I started doing Kung Fu, Chinese martial arts. And I got into that heavy for a number of years. And I did the turn. I did tournaments. I was doing all the forms and weaponry. I mean, I was and I, I still love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's super cool. Tell me about it. I need I don't know anything about all I know about Kung Fu is a few random movies when yeah, I was a oh kid, yeah. and like Wu-Tang. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I grew up on those movies, so I think that had such a huge influence on me. For sure. um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's like a traditional Chinese martial art, and it's really focused on, on these really long forms. And you, know, so you have weaponry, you have stick and spear and sword and all this stuff. And as a kid, I was like, man, that's so cool. That's what I wanted to do. And, uh, so yeah, so I took that so seriously. I had a great instructor who was, you know, just, just helped me out. And yeah, it was great. It was just fantastic. And who was that? Where, where, uh, his name was Neil McCritchie and he, uh, he lived here for a couple of years. He was going to chiropractic college and I just started training with him and he had been doing it like his whole life. So man, I just, I, I was training super hard in that. And uh, doing tournaments and, but after training that for a while, I really wanted to fight. I really wanted to get into fighting. And it was like, I had gone through this, all these different mediums of, of training. And it was like, God, what is sort of the next thing that I should do? And Muay Thai and MMA. This would have been 1990, 91. I would have been 2021. Now UFC starts coming online right around that time. Now, I mean that obviously that just changed everything. That just changed the consciousness for everyone. All the martial artists out there. Yeah, shout out to Blockbuster for keeping the tapes handy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I remember doing that. Yeah. I remember my friend. Tony Ceruno that I did martial arts with as a kid. He came over. I was at, 
I can't remember where I was. We were at a gathering doing something. And he came over and he had a VH t- VHS tape. And this would have been early 90s. I, I can't remember. 90 or 91. And he said, dude, you got to see this. And he put the VH t- VHS tape in and it was like UFC number one or something. It was insane. There was like a giant sumo guy. Against the guy in PJs. Totally, yeah. Eye gouge guy. All that and stuff. The, yeah, dude went down. Got kicked in the face while he was down. His teeth flew out. We we couldn't believe it. I mean, it was we couldn't believe it. It was. I mean, it just changed everything. Was UFC won the one where the guy had the one <laughs> boxing glove? No, the, no. I think that was later. Was it? That was, yeah, that was later. <laughs> but yeah, there was no. I don't. They don't had didn't have gloves on. There was no weight classes. It was insane, and it was just insane. But for us, being twenty twenty one, doing martial arts our whole lives, just changed everything. And that's that made sense. Yeah, I mean. And then after that, you know, Muay Thai. Started getting into Muay Thai. Where'd you get into Muay Thai? I first started doing Muay Thai um, with uh, with Sifu Rick Fay at the Minnesota Collie Group. Yeah. Through uh, one of his instructors, Peter Kwong. So Peter Kwong saw me doing a demonstration at the State Fair of Chinese Martial Arts. Yeah. It was like at the Chinese pavilion and we were doing, we were doing Kung Fu and demonstrations and I was doing lion dance and all this stuff. And he saw it and, um, that's his background. He's like, man, that's like real Kung Fu. I haven't seen that since my uncle, his uncle is like a famous Kung Fu master. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, man, that's, that's really cool. We should get together and train. And so he started coming over to my martial arts school. And we started doing Muay Thai, Filipino martial arts, and all these different stuff. I was like, man, this is, this is just so cool. And so I just started training with Sifu Rick Fay after that, just training like crazy at, at, at MKG. And I was there for about two years. I started going to seminars. I went to um, Ajahn Chai, Sirisut seminar. Just amazing. Thai boxing. I saw people test for their instructorship. I just had never seen people kick like that. So I was sold. I mean, I, that's what I had to do at that point. Um, so yeah, I was training with, with, uh, with Sifu Rick Fay for a while, for a couple of years. And then I really wanted to fight. Started training with coach Greg Nelson after that. And then I've been with him since 97. So it's been a, been a long ride still doing Muay Thai after all this time you know so I I kind of feel like that art especially I, I just couldn't couldn't uh, put down I couldn't I can't ever outgrow that you can't ever outgrow that it's just so so powerful is that the like the intricacies of it or just the yeah I the level after you after you've competed for a while in Muay Thai, I mean it's really with anything with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or wrestling or anything. Once you've competed and you get to a certain level, you can look and see how high the levels can go, and you it's it's just really uh, incredibly powerful to realize how high someone can take these arts and you 
you know, you're at a level where, you know, you're fighting, you're competing, and you realize you're nowhere near the top level. And it, so it's endless, that level that, the, that you can get to, that it, that's possible. So for me, I, especially fighting, you can always get better, always get better, always reach the next level and always fight a better guy, always fight a better guy. And I mean, if I could, I would, I would do that forever. But at a certain point, you just, you realize you can't, you can't keep doing that, you know? So, man, yeah, it's amazing art. I mean, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well, you just realize that it's endless, the learning. The majority of the exposure I have to Muay Thai was actually just a few weeks ago. Like, other than seeing it, you know, as a piece of mixed martial arts uh-huh. and whatever. But I was at a seminar at the Striking Institute taking mm-hmm. pictures for him over there. And I think I did a post about it on Facebook. It was a two-hour seminar, and um, an hour and 58 of it was spent in the clinch. Oh, yeah. That's such a huge part of the... At the end, everybody got one minute of kicks against the pad because, like, he probably knew that's what they were expecting to do that day, you know? Mm -hmm. And that blew my mind because you think of it as, you know, kicking, hitting, some elbows, oh, you get tangled up once in a while. Right. But literally close to 100% of the time this seminar was on clinch. That, Which is why I kind of ask about if it's the intricacies of it that you know a lot of us maybe don't. Oh, appreciate. I mean, you could that whole aspect, the clinching range in Muay Thai, the whole aspect of that—that's a whole art in and of itself. I mean, you could spend so much time, and actually, Muay Thai's when you're training Muay Thai for fighting, you're going to spend a good amount of time in the clinch practicing. Sure, it's just. Yeah, it's a, it is very intricate and, uh, yeah, that's an endless, that's endless learning. I mean, the punching, the boxing game, the kicking game, using your elbows, clinching, all those different ranges are arts in and of themselves. And then how they blend together with all the other ranges. That's the, that's really the beauty of Muay Thai. So when did you start doing jujitsu? Probably, yeah, late 90s, late 90s. Like around the time you started training with Greg? Yeah, I started doing doing more jiu-jitsu at that point. When I went over to, uh, when I went to the academy in 97, in my mind, I wanted to do MMA. Even though I loved Muay Thai, in my mind, I wanted to do MMA. And I went there, and it was... I mean, it was insane. Dave Monet was was fighting. Um, he had a bunch of big, just incredible wrestlers, and there's a lot of no gi training. I mean, it was it was like a jungle in there. It was crazy. I was definitely the smallest guy in the in the room, and I really wanted to do MMA, but there was nobody fighting my size at that time. There was. It just didn't seem like there was anybody that was 130, 35 pounds fighting. It was all big dudes. And Greg's like, oh, well, I can get you, you know, Muay Thai fight. And there was just way more opportunity for me to to do Muay Thai fights. So I'm like, all right. So I started doing that. And that was, I just, I fell in love with it. So at my weight, you know, 130, 
132. I could, there was a bunch of guys who were game to, to fight. It's kind of parallel to some of the problems with opponent availability that women still have. Oh, with weight sizes? Yeah, I mean, it just you do, they're guaranteed more jujitsu matches at a tournament than they are at you know an MMA yeah. thing. So it, I've talked to a few lately who are just investing more time and energy on like the jujitsu side specifically, just because it holds up better, fights don't fall through, you know, yeah. etc. That's a that's a big problem is fights falling through and you train I mean the amount of physical work uh that it takes to to put into you know the training that goes into a fight I don't think I don't think most people realize the just the sheer volume of work that it takes to do you know to do Muay Thai or uh MMA just all the training you have to do day in day out and the fight itself, it's amazing. People seeing people's arms raised. All those things, all those aspects are, are the amazing part of the fight. But pe- I, people don't re- a lot of people don't realize all that work that goes into it. And they may love that, and they may not. But a lot of people, I think, once they start doing it, they're like, wow, this is, this is way too much work. And we see a lot of versions of the finished product of a thing. Yeah, they see, yeah. They see the, the final product, absolutely. We have a lot, especially in sports, we have a lot of access to the best in the world. Totally. Well, they're the best in the world. Yeah, and there's, there's something with fighting, too, where it seems that people think that they can, sometimes some people think that they can just walk into it and do it because they're really tough or they've been in street fights or things like that. So they kind of think that they, they could just walk onto the thing. And there's really no other sport, I think, that people, and I say this to people sometimes, like, well... So if yeah. you do you think you could just walk yeah. onto the NBA and play basketball with those guys or play tennis with whoever or so, well no okay so why why do you think you should why do you think you could go into the UFC right now if you <laughs> I it's it seems yeah. silly but I think they do see the final product right. and watch the ultimate fighter and mm-hmm. and those things and yeah I don't want to take away anybody's ambition or anything like that. But I just try to explain like, look, you got to start, you got to start building yourself first. That's the whole process. I feel like there used to be more of that idea, this idea of building yourself. Right. Like I said, when I was, when I was a kid, that idea was more prevalent. I think like you're, you're building yourself up to make yourself stronger, building yourself to overcome these obstacles and now it's kind of the cart before the horse, you know, sometimes like I want the final product, but the, the, the work and the buildup, that's the, really the beauty of it. The, the, the work and the, everything that goes into the final product, the day in, the day out to me, that's the part that we all love. That's, that's what I feel like I have in common with, you know, with coach Greg, Andy Gron, who's been my training partner there for ever since I was there. We all love the that grind, that training was our favorite thing to do. The fight and the competition was a great part of it. And I love that too. But that, that day in, day out, the training, that's what we really love to do. So if you don't love that aspect, I think fighting is definitely not for you. What's the difference between people who do a thing and people who don't? Like if you don't like the getting ready part, 
Yeah. You got no shot at the championship part talent yeah. aside. So enjoy the ride as that's, it is. Yeah, that's what I say. God, enjoy the ability to just train and, and make yourself stronger and getting healthy and learning the skill. That is the true beauty of, of, of martial arts and, and the training because you're not going to be able to fight forever, but you can train and make yourself better and build that discipline. You can do that forever. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's what I tell people who are, who really, really want to fight and stuff, but you first enjoy this other aspect of it and then move on to the, to the fighting part. So this is what I really think about martial arts and the training and, and fighting. Um, and now, you know, fighting is so popular and I love that aspect but these other aspects of the the martial arts training are really what i see benefit so many people fighting is amazing and that really that has so many benefits too when you can actually get in there and fight what that does for you as a martial artist is incredibly powerful but if you don't want to fight you don't want to you don't ever want to do that the martial arts is it's such a powerful vehicle for reaching a, so many goals. That's what I, that's what I see, you know, more than anything is that people overcome, uh, so many obstacles, whether it's, you know, people tell me kind of sometimes a secret, they don't like, look, I, you know, super depressed, I've been fighting depression for tons of years, or I've been, you know, whatever inner fight they have and martial arts, it just snapped them into a different world, you know, and that's incredibly powerful, you know, to see that. So people use it to, uh, they fall in love with it and they use it to just make their life better. So I put up a post on the, the Instagram I use for my photography stuff and it mm-hmm. connects to this. And I said, I wanted to do either a series of conversations or I wanted people who would be willing to like write out a thing and read sort of a short episode mm-hmm. about how martial arts served as a catalyst yeah. in whatever version of recovery they needed. Yeah. Be it from trauma, addiction, fucking, mm-hmm. I think I said fucking social anxiety. I don't care. Yep. You know, totally. Everything. Something. And uh, I, I was telling somebody yesterday that the response to that was I, I, pretty amazing. Really? And at the same time, really fucking unsettling. Like I'm happy that because <laughs> a lot gonna, of people were, but it was clear like within an hour I had like 30 messages, so it, clearly what you're saying is hard and fast truth of it. Sure, yeah. What I I'm kind of so. gleaning from it is that like okay, the fighting if we say quote unquote fighting is like mixed martial arts. Yeah, I think that's the most popular version. It's mm-hmm. sort of fighting all versions yeah. all in one. But what I'm taking from what you're saying a little bit is maybe some throwback to the old school methods of practicing katas is more of what we as individuals need, whether we realize it or not. Like UFC is nice in Hollywood, but the discipline of showing up and practicing. I don't, the I don't think it's necessarily the medium of, hmm. of kata. Uh, it doesn't. But the. The idea, the discipline, yep. the self-discipline, and that aspect of it is, that's super important. And every every great fighter has that. They have that. They already have that. And they are, are training that and cultivating that discipline all the time already. But 
yeah, I just, I think people, you know, they should know that that is super important. That discipline comes first, that training day in, day out, and just loving the, loving the training is really so important, especially if you want to be a fighter. If you don't love the, if you don't love the training and love that daily grind as a fighter, man, you're not going to last long because that's where the, that's where the passion is, you know, is that training and then the fight itself and what you glean from that fight, the, what you come out of it with is so powerful. It's worth, it's worth all the anxiety and the, the injuries and all that stuff for what you get from, from being in there for that short amount of time. So I definitely, fighting is incredibly powerful too. I mean, that's, that's even more powerful. Once you add that, I mean, coach Gray used to tell me, he's like, man, fighting is worth like a thousand hours of training. It's kind of how you quantify it. It it is just like 15 minutes of fighting is just, you're just in another zone of learning and, and growth. So it's a, that's why it's so addictive. That's why fighters keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it even after they, maybe they shouldn't, you know, <laughs> outside of bars in Hawaii. Clay Guida fought last night. Seriously? Clay Guida fought last yeah. night. No way. Went the distance. Wow. Where was that? Uh, UFC apex or whatever. Fight night last night. I was wondering about it. I saw a clip of him couple of days ago just an animal and i was and i thought to myself yeah. god what where is that dude what is he doing you but know? generally when you stumble on a clip of somebody something's coming you know what i mean like oh, uh, tyson's gonna yeah. fight again that's smart <laughs> you know but clearly man that hair does he still have that hair uh not as much of it but he still <laughs> does <laughs> i was just like god that hair must be driving you insane that's all. That's all I would think about when I'd watch him fight. That all, just all that hair. It was like watching uh, old matches of like women boxers from the late eighties and nineties before the cornrow oh, thing. Right. Yeah, Beca- they all these big crazy. curly like hairdos while they're fighting. Gross. <laughs> yeah, I just saw there was a documentary on Christy Martin. You know. That yep, is? that's what. That's exactly what you I was see picturing. That documentary? Did you watch that one? I haven't. Is it like what's it untold? Is that yeah, what? I think it's a series, is and this is like her episode. Really good. Is it? And oh and I mean I. I had like vague memories because that's right. young years for me. Right. Like you know the name just because it's a name people know. Uh, but that's a hell of a story. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything about any of it. Mm-hmm. And it went places I really wasn't expecting it to go. Yeah, it looked really interesting. I I remember her as like the number one boxer, women's boxer back yeah. in the day. Was that like late or like late 80s, early 90s? What was yeah, that? yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think. Probably like in that 92, 93, 94, kind of the prime time uh, Don King, Mike yeah. Tyson type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She was an undercard to Mike Tyson at one point. Wow. Or like, you know, the other main event kind of deal. Yeah. Something something tragic happened to her, right? Yeah. Yeah. We can't spoil it. No, I don't know what it is. Definitely but. don't want to spoil it because it just came out. And it's just a hell of a, hell of a story. Really well done. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, there's, man, there's some great, uh, there's just such great stuff coming out. There was one on Showtime recently. Um, it's Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler. It's just about, um, gosh, I cannot remember the name of it. I think I know what you're talking about. It's a fantastic documentary. 
about that time and those guys all fighting each other. It's got like an artsy kind of name, like conversation with the fellows. Or Hearns, something. Hagler, Look that up. Roberto Duran, <laughs> Sugar Ray Leonard. I, don't, I didn't watch it, but I remember uh, dude, seeing it. super and cool. I mean, I just, watch it. as a kid, I remember watching all those fights. It was just a different time, the way that it was. It was so, uh, it was just so powerful. There weren't, there weren't like a million belts. Yeah. It, you were the champion the, of the world. You were the champion of the world. And Not they fought of the each WBC's other. world or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's boxers who get belts and all those different things. But yeah. man, at that time, you were the champion of the world. If it was, it was great. And no, and they didn't dodge each other. It was like they wanted to fight each other. Right. The kings. The kings. The kings. The hell was I thinking of? They were kings, man. That's yeah. what they should have called it. They were kings, man. <laughs> it's what's cool about it is that they have them talk, you know, narrating. Each one of them is narrating, you know. I don't think yeah, I think they're all narrating. So just letting them talk. They're just telling kind of their story like when when Roberto Duran beat Sugar Ray Leonard when they their first fight, when he went home to Panama, there were like a million people at the airport waiting for him. The entire country <laughs> was, they, they, the entire runway is filled with people. And he walks off, the, he opens the plane door and he's holding the belt up. Just the whole, the entire country was united yeah. behind one man. It's, it's incredibly inspiring. And then when he lost the second time, they wanted to kill him. <laughs> you know, it was like the opposite. It was bad, but pretty amazing. I mean, I guess it's like that in the Philippines, you know, when Pacquiao would fight. The entire country was shut down. Everyone's watching. It's, it's interesting how they, just everybody's so united, you know, in those countries behind one, one person. It's pretty cool. I suppose it's partly we have a different perspective because we're kind of spoiled with that here. Like, yeah. We, you know, our biggest star, we have the, all the, all, I'll go in generalities. We have all the biggest stars in all the biggest sports, and these are the biggest sports because we say they're the biggest sports, except right. for soccer. Right. You know, like, we have all of them. There is no, hey, our guy's finally there because our guy's always there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What do you think about, you know, the whole, I guess, I don't want to call it a scandal about, you know, Simone... Um, Biles sort of stopping, like not continuing, not competing. What do I think about it? Yeah. It was probably a smart call. Right? Cause she the was... fuck does anybody else know about what she's experiencing? Yeah. And actually, let's talk to all her teammates and the people who compete yeah. against her. Let's, I just felt like say, I don't, you know? I saw people sort of criticizing her and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, I don't know. I have, yeah. I have no idea what she's. If a fighter drops out of a fight, I'm not like, what the fuck, you puss? Because I'm afraid to be hit in the face. <laughs> so what, the fu- what, what am I going to say, what, you know? Uh, what battle What battle are they going through? I mean, I, I just, you don't really know. You have no idea. Like, what? Yeah, I'm uncomfortable on a third floor of a building. She's <laughs> jumping in the air and spinning and twisting. Like, again, a zero. Right. I, I yeah. get the idea of like, you're at the precipice. This is the biggest show. Like I, I mm-hmm. kind of see where people are coming from. Yeah. And I guess I say exactly, mm-hmm. you know, 
And I'm going to well, make she's the already, smartest call I can. Plus, I mean, I've been yeah. here, you know. She's already proven that yeah. she's, you know, the greatest. And what would what would happen if um, at the Super Bowl, the star quarterback for a team just decided to, like, I can't do it? Do if think, he's if if he's worried about like his concussion history and yeah. he took a knock in you, practice, unfortunately, think get, I think he should step the fuck out. Oh sure. Do you absolutely. think people would give him absolutely a break? No, I thought you said they're going to give him shit. Yeah, uh, I think he would catch a load of shit. Yeah, I think they would. Yeah. I think it would be bad. The most machismo bravado people in the world are the ones with Cheeto stained fingers <laughs> and sitting on the couch watching other people do shit. You know. Yeah, the critics. The well, critics. It, like how many people you know, and you, you've been around fighters for a long time. Like when I, I asked you at the start of this, I said you ever been in a fight, mm-hmm. and you had to go back to what fifth grade or kindergarten, because you know how to fight. Like people who get in fights don't know how to fight. There's plenty of evidence yeah, know, on YouTube. Gosh, you know? I just <laughs> never had. After I started training martial arts, the idea of just fighting somebody because I had aggression towards them or whatever, I I just have never even thought about it. And that's my point. Is like. If you if you've played ball, name the ball. You're not sitting back going, "You fucking asshole, missing no, shots." You yeah. just you don't. Ha- once you have the perspective, you shut the fuck up because you yeah. have the perspective. And th- yeah, I mean, once you've once you've done it and won and lost and been injured and been you know and gone through all of it, man, you're just humbled by the whole process. And you're also too what that does to your relationship to other fighters and people that you know that have been through the same thing you just it just changes your whole perspective i just never thought about man we were training so hard in the in the gym the idea of getting into a fight outside of the gym i just there's just no there's no way there's just no way i remember I i worked downtown i was a waiter downtown during the late 90s when i was fighting and uh you know, stuff would happen, and I just remember some guy pushed me, and he st- stuck his chest out, and I just I had trained super hard that day too. I think I even had a fight coming up. I just I I couldn't even feel anything. I was like, no, dude, there's no way I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> this is not gonna happen. And then his friends came up and was like, oh, dude, we're super sorry, and they pulled him away. He was really drunk. But I just I couldn't feel anything. I'd I'd kind of spent it all at the gym, to be honest. Um. So yeah, it's a. And the difference is that guy's trying to spend it all, the angst and the energy and the sure. whatever it is. But he's yeah. doing it with booze and maybe picking a fight at the end right. of the night. You know. Right. That guy could definitely use martial arts. Yeah. There's no doubt. Right. We all got knucklehead in us, but oh, yeah, you got to steer there. it the right direction. Right. You got to harness it. You got to take it for a walk. You know, that is for sure. And that's what, that's why martial arts is so great because it just, it harnesses that aspect of your, of that thing that's in all of us and channels it into something smart and healthy. Whereas if you don't have that channel, who knows where that goes? Who knows where the energy goes, you know? So. When was your first competitive fight? And we're talking Muay Thai, right? That's, yeah, Muay yeah. Thai. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked me this yesterday. Do you remember your first fight? 
because we had smoker fights at the academy yep. yesterday. So, and God, they were awesome. God, I could not believe how. Is anybody there taking pictures like with a good camera? I'm not sure. We got. I, I wish you would have been there, dude. Well, there was so many fucking events. There was a powerlifting meet. I had already oh. agreed to take photos of somebody's wedding. There was the Fuji BJJ. So many things all in one day. Dude, it was. I I don't know if it's the pandemic or what, but all these all these guys were just. They were throwing down, and I mean, it's a smoker. You know, it's like okay, it's amateur. You know, you're trying to get your feet wet, type of thing. No, they were like, "This is it." Yeah. This, they're super serious, and it was just really cool. It was really exciting, man. Well, to use use your phrase, they haven't taken it for a walk in quite a while. A oh yeah, yeah. A lot of these guys, maybe it was know. their first one, or I mean, dude, in the just pandemic, got told to sit down for a year, so now you're finally standing up. Yeah, they've been kind of told like you got you can't do anything, <laughs> and now they're just going nuts. And it was it was really inspiring, man. I gotta say. Uh, but somebody, the fights were going on, and and uh, this young guy's like, "Coach, do you remember your first fight?" And I'm like, "Oh man, I I rem- it was against Josh Tarman. It was in 1998. I mean, I remember so much about it." And uh, give me the rundown. Talk oh. me through it. Well, what's weird is that I had done martial arts since I was 10 years old, right? So then this is your first fight. Oh, so, so you trained since you were 10, so what do you really know? And it's like, you don't, you, at that point you realize like, what do I know? I'm here to tell you, you don't know much. If you, if you've never really fought, you just don't know as much as you think is, think you do. It just doesn't work that way. (laughs) You have to pressure test it. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. I, I was, I was having a blast and I didn't put that much pressure on myself because you have no idea what to expect. It's your first thing. So we trained so hard too. So what was the thing I say with my, my powerlifting clients going into their first meet because they start talking about goals and it's super exciting. You're going to lift more than you've ever lifted. And I always say, all I want you to do is do better than your last meet. Mm -hmm. And like, well, this is my first one. I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's the best you've ever done in this sport. Even if you yeah. shit the bed like at certain numbers Take the or whatever, pressure off. this is the best you've ever done. Stepping it's, up to do it, you know. It's so hard because people put so much pressure on themselves, and the fear of failure is it's it's really powerful. And um, man, if you could focus on on like the fear of failure is just not it's not a problem for you. You're just not that worried about it. Gosh, that's a powerful thing, but. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of pressure on myself because I'd never done it. So, um, and it just, it was weird. I was i was hitting him and his head was snapping back. But it was like that dream where you're hitting them and they don't, they just kind of keep coming forward. That's what it was like. His head was snapping back. But I was like, man, this is so weird. It was so weird. I just remember it being so weird. And, uh... That's a, it's just a way you have never interacted with another human being. No, that way. You, I mean, unless you've been in a bunch of street fights as it, it growing up, then you yeah. it, you know it's going to be more familiar. But for me, it was like, man, you're just putting a straight jab cross on on a guy's face. You've done it on the pads, you've done it on the bag, but it's just I can feel my knuckles going through the glove onto his face. I was like, God, this is weird. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I just remember thinking, like, God, this is so strange. And um. Man, I just kicked him in the neck 
and near the end of the fight, I kicked him in the neck, and he did a full 360 and fell on his face. And uh, I went back to the neutral corner, and uh, I I was worried. I was like, oh, my God. And they brought a stretcher in and stuff. I was, I thought I had really hurt the dude, you know. But then after he came up and we hung out, and he was, it was great. It was totally cool. He came up and he was totally, it was fine, you know. And See, that's uh, the weird part. All right, you want to go have a beer now? Exactly. Yeah, just... And then after that, that's what, that is one of the coolest things about it too, is that I would see him after, I haven't seen him for a long, long time, but he kept fighting after that and he was super good too. Um, I would see him and we would, it was like we were total buddies. There was absolutely zero animosity and other fighters will tell you this too. It's just not, there's nothing there except more like respect usually for what you guys sort of put each other through. And that's, that goes for all the guys I've ever fought. I think every single one of them, I'm just like, man, there's a, a certain amount of respect there. And camaraderie, because you shared this thing that you're not going to share with with anybody else, and you pushed each other. Whether you won or lost, you pushed each other through this thing. And well, it's, it's a, you're sharing a thing you're never going to share with anybody else, and I'm imagining that the negative outcome is reasonably equally likely for both of you. Yeah, it's like, pretty close. You I mean, could have just as easily, you know, put your. He could kick me in the, in the head. head. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was saying to me, they're like, God, I really, I don't really like hitting someone in the face. I really don't like that. Yeah. Seems and I'm like, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, good. Don't know, do that. You don't like that. <laughs> um, it's, it's weird though. Cause you're, you're both, like you said, you're both likely kind of pretty as likely to get hurt or get knocked out or to lose. And you're both agreeing to this thing. So there's not, it's not like you're doing it wrongly to someone. So I never felt guilty for that. Um, it usually, I, I remember fighting, it usually took maybe them trying to hit me hard first before I felt like good about it. It would put me into this, like, oh, okay, we're fighting now. And then I would be in this different mindset. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I some people just don't like to do that. They just don't like to hit someone. And if they can't get past that that's a tough one because if you're going to fight you know you need to need to get in touch with that and and actually give yourself permission to do it because you're going to be fighting somebody else maybe they don't care at all they have no they have no qualms about (laughs) about hitting you hard so yeah you definitely want to get over that as quickly as you can but uh it's a weird thing it's a weird thing doing that to somebody how many competitive fights did you have? I think I had about 40, 40 fights altogether with Muay Thai and MMA and a couple so of you boxing did, matches. So you did go fight MMA eventually. Yeah, I think I was about, what was I, about 38 when I started. I'm like, God, I, you know, I haven't done MMA. I do jiu-jitsu. I'm, I'm going to do this for a while because this is sort of the next, sort of next step, like put all this stuff together and try to, and try to do this. So I had about nine, I think I had nine MMA fights. Um, and that was great. I mean, the, what I loved about that is the, 
the training. You're you're working takedowns, your anti takedowns, your jujitsu, your striking. You're working everything, and I thought that was a blast, just a blast. It's kind um, of the most diverse skill set. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah, it's super diverse. It's hard to like, man. You have so much stuff to work on. It's there's so many things to work on. Um, whereas Muay Thai, I felt like okay, I have my I have my pad work, my bag work, my running, my clinch, my drills, and you have this all these different areas that you're working as well. It's a lot, but then now MMA, now I got to work the ground too. I mean, it's there's just so much to deal with. Um, but I had a blast doing that. I'll, I'll have to say that fighting Muay Thai, the atmosphere, I really love that. I, I just fell in love with the atmosphere. There's a different atmosphere. Um, MMA, I had some great MMA fights too, but just the, the, the crowd and the vibe and everything is, is so much different usually at Muay Thai fights. And especially if you're fighting overseas or in another country, now that's a whole other aspect, cultural aspect the, the feeling that you have in the, the whole vibe in the room is completely different. What is it? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're in, if you're in, uh, in Thailand, the vibe, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty rowdy because there's gambling going on and it's loud. And then, but usually the first couple of rounds are, they're kind of calm and not every fight is like that, but a lot of fights you start off and it's just super calm. I, it's like, are we fighting? This is first couple of fights I had over there. I was like, God, is this, it doesn't feel like we're fighting even. Cause there's no, it's just like, okay, just moving around, feeling it out. And like you'd warm up in the gym, kind of kinda. take an easy round and. Oh, it's just a blast. And then it's just so cool. And then as you know, and the music's playing, the musicians are playing and as the rounds go on, it just gets more and more and more intense until it's at its full pace. Now, not every fight goes like that, but sure. uh, I thought that was super cool. So it's got this specific vibe to it uh whereas in in japan now i fought once in japan in in uh the early 2000s in a shooto shooto match and i could not believe how quiet it was the crowd is not even making any noise i could hear my feet moving on the canvas and the the corner is talking like this to you. Okay, you need to jab. Okay, circle. They're talking like that because you can just hear everything. Yeah. It was insane. I mean, I, that was really, really weird. And the crowd is so respectful. They know exactly what is going on. They're so versed in, in the arts that they're just watching so attentively. It's amazing. Yeah. I get a big kick out of watching uh, the sumo matches. And that oh, yeah. same sort of cultural impact is nicely dressed, quiet crowd. Oh, yeah. And the dude, like the referee dude, just screams the whole time. I don't even know the proper phrasing. Yeah. But yeah, it's completely silent other than their feet and their stuff slapping together. Yeah. And that dude screaming. But There's I mean, this whole total cultural vibe. aspect yeah. to it. How many, like, what is it? How many hundreds of years they've been doing this? Right. Same thing in Thailand. You do, it's so old. They've been doing... This is just part of the culture. 
uh, and you get that feeling, you know, whereas like the early days of MMA, it's just insane. Like every, I mean, before the weight classes and before it was, everyone's drunk, they're pulling people out of the crowd. It's a very American thing, kind Dude, of a, yeah, a yeah. wild, wild west. <laughs> totally. It was like, <laughs> you know, a car let's just see what happens here. It was like everyone's showing up to see a car crash. Yeah. Whereas Japan, completely opposite. The crowd is completely aware of what's happening. They totally know the ground. They know. They understand everything. It's part. It's martial arts is part of their culture forever. Right. right. They're like a warrior culture. Nobody's booing when the fight hits oh, the ground. So awesome. <laughs> I just. I thought it was so cool. And there's always like one lone person in the crowd going yelling just out of the blue mm -hmm. it's super quiet and one person will just yell <laughs> it's pretty cool but like in thailand everyone's yelling you know everyone's yelling how many times you fight in thailand uh four times four times yeah i would go over and stay for like a month and train and then at the end you know yeah. have a fight and again the train you know the training when you're over there and you're not doing anything else except for training and just doing that day in day out as a as an american as a foreigner having the luxury to go there and just do that as on a just sort of as your sort of hobby these guys are that's their life that's what they that's how they have to live in this camp and for us just to be able to go over and do it and then leave whenever we want. That is uh, a huge, huge privilege to be able to do that. Uh, a lot of guys over there were just like, God, why are you doing this? You know, a lot of Thai guys were like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why would you come over here and do this? You know, it seems you're in a, you live in America. You can do all these other things and not have to do this. Now, not everybody was like that, but mm -hmm. some guys were mm -hmm. kind of really questioned like why we were, why we were over there like you're doing this for fun like you like this you know yeah. they would rather play soccer or do something do something else i mean it's because the training is so arduous it is just so arduous that day in day out you yeah. know so but yeah that doing having to do absolutely nothing but train twice a day and then get to fight this is beautiful because here you have to work you have to do all these other things to maintain your life. The amount of energy that those things take away from you is you don't realize it until you don't have to worry about them. Right. When you can just go into the fight not worrying about anything. That's the by far the best I've ever felt for a fight. Just completely mentally clear, not worrying about anything. Yeah. In the best shape of your life, too. You know. So that's great. But yeah, you know, do you guys know Nick the Goat Thompson? From the internet. Yeah. I saw him last night, but uh, I traveled to Japan with him. I think we went over there three, maybe three times and I corner him over there. I think he went over there more, but I went over there like three times with him. And we were in a crowd of, I mean, it was a huge stadium. I think it was maybe 15,000, 20,000 people maybe. It was a lot. It is a lot. And it's still I'm like, all right, Nick, just, okay, keep jabbing. I didn't really, I didn't have to yell. I didn't have to, it was still super calm. 
wasn't silent by any right, means, right, but yeah. completely different than here. Using your "Hey, you upstairs" voice to yeah. coach a fight. Yeah, that's the difference. That's like that calm, and yeah. actually fighting in that environment is so so much fun. That experience is so much different. Just the the environment that you're in really makes a huge difference. And to go back to that, what I was saying about Muay Thai and why I enjoyed that so much is the environment that you're fighting and that you're going into and the crowd and the whole vibe compared to MMA. Um, it's just a, a different feel, different feel. And MMA, watching it change, it's totally evolved to the crowd is is different now. They're way more conscious of what's happening and people are students of the game yeah, even if they're not the fighters sport, yeah yeah it's great it's like how football nerds can totally analyze what's happening yeah. in the game it's, yeah mma is getting to that point there's an appreciation for what's going on yeah for what's happening and i think that is just gonna that consciousness is just gonna keep going and going and going so what was the overlap between your like muay thai fights and your mma fights or did you simply switch to fighting, training for and fighting MMA? When you say overlap, what do you mean? Like just the training method? No, I'm sorry. Like timeline wise. So like my first MMA fight was before my last three Muay Thais or something like that. Oh, so it. yeah. Uh, just kind of retire from one and move to the other. I guess, yeah, it was probably 2008 or so when I just just focused on that. And I did that for a couple years. And then I was like, man... I really want to do a couple more Muay Thai fights before I continue. So I did an, I did another fight when I was a 39 Muay Thai fight. Maybe I was 40. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm getting close to the end of this. I can't do this much more. So I want to try to, you know, fight some really good fights. And I fought uh, a guy named Nung Siam, who was a, you know, a stadium champ from Thailand who was by far the best guy I had ever, ever fought. Uh, just the best, just amazing. Nung Siam means not like number one Thailand, <laughs> you know, that does not bode well. Number one in Siam. Yeah. So it was, that was rough, man. That was a rough one. I had sort of a, like showing up and fighting a guy that calls himself the goat. I don't know if it is meant to mean greatest of all well, time, but actually that would... what that, okay. what that name refers to. Okay. So yeah, greatest of all time. But <laughs> have you ever seen fainting goats? Yeah. So early on in practice, he used to like pass out and get knocked out and shit. Taxia. So, so they called him uh, the fainting goat. They're like, dude, you're like a fainting goat. <laughs> so that became that's the true story. That's yeah. That's that's really awesome. Yeah. So that's the background there. Yeah, it's really funny. But it's not just a bold claim. But then people started, you know, using that as sort of the greatest of all yes. time. So. But wasn't yeah. the goat like a negative term just like not that long ago? Not, I feel uh, like the Chicago Cubs, they used to like be like they're the fucking goat because like, they couldn't win. Am I remembering that incorrectly? They were using it in a different, yeah, sort like, of a negative way. I, could, I don't I remember, but huh. yeah, they called them the fainting goat though. So that's where that, that <laughs> nickname stuck. So much better than what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. But your, yeah, your so, nickname has to have a negative root or like... You can't fully like your nickname. Yeah. No. Yeah. There was. You got a fighter name? Do I? No. Yeah. No. No. Just Nat. Yeah. People would make stuff up like on the spot. 
Right, right, right. You know, they would, they're like, oh, I don't have a nickname. And then the announcer would just like say some, some make something up. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> Nat, the guy over there, McIntyre. Yeah, Nat, I think it was like, I think one guy said the Scottish warrior or something, made some stuff up. I just was never really that into, you know, into that stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I did a couple more fights, Muay, Muay Thai fights before I was done. And you know how I was talking about how you can, after you've done it for a while, you can look and see the different levels right. of like what's possible that you could maybe get to. Yeah. When I fought Nong Siam, it's like that was, he was such, so high level being in front of him. Uh, it was like, he could just, he just knew what I was going to do. He just could just barely move out of the way when I would, when I would strike and then just come back and, and catch me with incredibly powerful strikes. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. It feels like a coaching session. Oh, dude. I mean, yeah, it was, it was tough. I'm so glad that I did it, but I mean, he had hundreds of fights, so much experience, so seasoned, grew up as a kid doing it, you know? So it was, uh, again, it was a huge privilege to be able to fight, to fight him as well. So, Um, it was a guy that was 30 and 10 at 16 years old or something crazy. Oh, m- more probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Different culture. Absolutely. Yep. He grew up doing it. So, but in his corner, he had like three other guys. Johnson on Fairtex was in the corner. And I think maybe Boone Curd was in the corner. And I think there was one other guy. I can't remember. In the corner, all the fights combined, it was like, a thousand fights right. their experience <laughs> against us you know it's like all i mean just the, the level of experience and here's the beautiful thing like after the fight uh johnson on fairtex one of my favorite all-time muay thai fighters and he's been out here to minnesota a few times uh he looked at me and he's like what do you think you know obviously i lost the fight on you know i lost the fight on points and uh, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, man, that was, that was amazing. And he just goes, yeah, that's experience. His, that's his, his experience. That's all he said. I mean, and that just sums it up. That's like your experience. Because in America, we're like, oh, what's your fight record? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm 40 and three. It's like, oh, you've lost three times. Oh, you're, you're, okay, you lost... Over there, it's like, how many fights you have? How many fights you have? So it's sort of the totality of your experience and how much experience you have. And Muay Thai, because Muay Thai fighters have a, they have a bunch of losses. Because it's just, too, there's just too much happening. It's just too easy to, to lose, you know. Even the greatest guys have losses, you know. And here, it's like, oh, he's undefeated. or It's such a big deal. Um and that's kind of, I mean, it's definitely a cultural difference there, I would say. They don't give a shit about wins versus losses. They care. Well, they do because sure. it's gambling and money, yep. of yep. course. That's very important. But in the fighter's brain, how many fights have you had? That's what I've experienced with seasoned Muay Thai fighters. Just that's your experience. Because yeah, their, their, biggest, their biggest show there isn't a 16-game season that's going to start over in nine months yeah you know we just keep going yeah 
I don't have any familiarity with. We do it for a little bit real hard, and then we stop for most of the year. Yeah. Yeah, they work so hard ever, you know, as it coming from a, a child all through their teens until they're done, the amount of hard work that they do. It's just amazing. So, yeah, they have a different uh, different viewpoint. So there's a couple, you know, there's some things like that with with sort of our culture that's, I think we could learn something from that. We probably will. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get there. Yeah. I mean, they'll teach us. Somebody out there will. Yeah. Oh, man. I had the next thing all geared yeah. up, ready to go. That's what happens when you stay sober. That's all right. Let's see. Keep going. Do you need... <laughs> Do you need a beer? Need is a strong word. <laughs> Would you like... A beer. This is great stuff. I love I love going over this stuff. It's kind of fun. I you know, you don't don't really think about it. And you know, over the years we've just been doing this for so long that over the over the years uh you forget like all the different things that or you you don't forget, but you don't think about yeah, it. Yeah, you're not actively thinking about a lot of the details. You don't think about it and then Sometimes when you pause and you start talking about all the stuff that's happened and all the things that you've done and places you've visited and corner people and fights and you just realize all the all the years of doing this stuff and how you know how rich it is to all the different experiences that we've had in martial arts and getting to do what we want to do, you know. It's uh, it's amazing to be able to do it. Still, you know, to be able to. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm teaching, you know. I'll just be like, man, I'm, I'm teaching martial arts. I'm barefoot. I'm I walk around barefoot all day in my shorts. Shorts, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I get to hold pads and train and do jujitsu and. It's it's sometimes it's like man this is amazing. I mean even you know last summer when we were sort of in the middle of the height of the pandemic, we were training in the the back of the academy. We had put up these tents because it was hot, so we put up these tents back there, so you could train under there. If it was like lightly raining or whatever, you could train under there. And we had a bunch of people out there training in the sunshine. And at that point, it was like man. You know, are we going to lose people? Are we going to, are people going to die? Uh, are we going to lose the academy? This thing that we work for, for, for so many years and training out there in that, in the sun like that, there were moments where it was like, man, this is, this is awesome. I, this is the best. I'm having the best time. There was this thing looming in the background, but we could forget it for a while. Right. And, you know, now looking back on it, I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not going to forget that. That was like a really good experience, a good time. I, I, and I was back there with Coach Greg. You know, we're training, we're training stick work and Muay Thai and doing all this stuff. And I was like, man, this is cool. I'm so glad that we can keep doing this. You know, and we weren't just sitting at home doing nothing. You know, we were able to to keep doing that. And luckily, a lot of students wanted to do that too and they wanted to do that with us as well 
And luckily, we train outside, and I think it was it was safe for us to do that. I don't think there was any problems. Um, but yeah, even even getting to do that in the in sort of the worst worst of times was really great. I'm not gonna lie; sometimes you're super exhausted. I mean, uh, training as you get older, training is harder harder to recover. You're really sore. All those things can be can can kind of weigh on you sometimes you know all the aches and pains and different injuries and stuff you've had but at the end of the day the majority of the time it's like man it's, it's pretty great to be able to do that i'm still lucky to be able to to be able to do that so i don't have the personal perspective on this but just doing what i do for a living working as a personal trainer uh-huh. and not for years uh Give me 10 people, 10 guys, 51 years old. They're all going to say that same sentence, but you got the fucking fun reason for it. Yeah. Like everybody hurts. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. on their way down. <laughs> but how high up did you start? And what are you doing on the way down? You know? Yeah. You got, I mean, honestly. I, you're, you're tired from kicking pads and teaching people to defend themselves. Other people are tired from sitting at a desk all day. Oh my god! I kind of like your version. I gotta be honest, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like I, I just feel like we, you know, we kind of never, we never grew up. We did what we wanted to do. We love martial arts. We love training. We love teaching, and we just—that's what we want to do, and that's what we kept doing, and we just kept doing it. We're teenagers, through your twenties, through your thirties, through your forties, just kept doing it. Sitting in a cubicle. Behind a desk, I, it's just not going to happen. It was never going to happen for me. There's some or personality for any of types that's just not going to work, right? It's just not going to happen. It's just not not in my DNA to do that. And uh, you know, I have some aches and pains, whatever. And I look at it, and yeah, sometimes it, it bugs me. But I, it's small price to pay for all the all the great stuff. I would do it over again in a second. Coach Greg, you know Greg Nelson, he's had. Cancer, I mean, he doesn't have any cartilage in his knees. I don't even know how he's moving. I don't get it. I just do not get it. It's because it's he loves it, and it's just, he's not going to ever stop. And what, are you going to not do it? Yeah, yeah. That's weird. Yeah, he has, I mean, there's no telling how many different injuries and all these different things he had, survived cancer, all this stuff, and he just just keeps going, just keeps going. So I, I can't really complain, you know. There's people with way more injuries or things to worry about than I have. Um, but yeah, and also too, as you get older, if you start, if you slow down and and stop doing it, I get yeah, it's gonna be bad news. That's a death sentence. Yeah, it's gonna be bad you're, news. You're just ramping up the angle of the slope. You know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, look. Let's face it. You're on a sinking ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you got to keep. You just gotta. Might as well play that violin, man. Totally. Just keep going. Absolutely. There's and, no doubt. But, There's no option. And then you get more and more into the years where you kind of serve as the mentor to people. You get to see other people doing the same thing you did. That yeah. Was, that was that little video clip. I, I, I wish I would have started recording earlier, but I recorded Hayden telling you about how he, the first time he showed up at the academy, he wanted to buy a certain t-shirt, and you were like, oh. Shopping, and we went in and bought shirts. So I grabbed one of these. So I thought it looked cool, right? And I'd go to check out, and you're like, "Oh, 
you can't get this uh, this black shirt. I was like, oh, you're like, that's only for uh, for coaches, people who work here, and like coaches and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So once I move down here and I train it for a little bit, then once I start working here, then I get this shirt. And you were like, you like laugh. You're like, oh, yeah, basically. And I was like, but and here, here you are. Here I am. Worked here. Got this shirt. That's actually for the coaches, but there was yeah. more to that story, and it was yeah. you know him expressing gratitude for the you know the years of mentorship oh, yeah. and leading him down. I mean that, that kind of when someone tells you that stuff, it just it absolutely makes your makes your day because you whatever if I'm super sore, I'm tired, whatever, and and he tells me that, I'm just like, I mean I'm not even tired anymore. It's I'm not even sore. Yeah. Fuck totally. It's just amazing. His story's great. I, I'm so proud of that kid because he did everything he said he was going to do. I'm going to move down there. I'm going to go there. I'm going to be an instructor. I'm going to open my own school. And he just he just did it. Did all the stuff that he said he was going to do. Just did it all. Yeah. How many people you know can say that? Yeah. I mean, even yourself. Like I could, I give you a list of shit I thought I was going to do. Told people I was going to do. Started doing. I, yeah, I mean, I joined jujitsu on April first so I could play it off as a joke when I gave up on it. Yeah, but you're a trainer, <laughs> though. A, you, yeah, trainers tell other people to work. Out, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, okay, April Fools, that'll work. Yeah, I, yeah, I. It's it's amazing though. Watch, you know, watching people get into it and reach all these different goals. It's at this point now. I mean, there was a while there, like, I think at coming to the end of competing and the end of actually doing fights, you know, he's kind of feeling sorry for yourself. You're like, man, it's like, I can't do this anymore. What am I going to do? I feel, you don't know, feel good about yourself. At that point, you just realize like, okay, so what? You can't do it. You can help other people do it. And yeah, the, the vicarious sort of thrill is sometimes it's it's pretty good i mean it's it's up there uh seeing these guys and girls do do amazing stuff it's i mean they're like look at like uh some of the some of the fighters that started in the gym they're way better than i ever was at this point they're they've already they're way better well that's kind of what i was going to say the vicarious thrill is seeing the thing that you know get three X or five X, yeah. you know, I, I made all these mistakes. I learned all the wrongs and the rights. I'm going to give you what I got and they're just going to expand on it. Oh yeah. Just, a, I can't believe how, how advanced people are now. I look at it. I'm like, God, it's just the, the technical, the technical, uh, ability of, of people now. It's really, it's really high compared to what it was. I mean, it just keeps going up and in 10 years it's going to be even higher. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's just, I can't imagine what it's going to be. Um, so yeah, it is great to be a part of that, uh, to see that happen for people. That's pretty cool. This is a jujitsu podcast. We better talk to you about jujitsu a little bit, huh? For sure. You know a little jujitsu? A little bit. How, I mean, how long have you been at jujitsu? Did I ask you that? Mm, late nineties. Yeah. I mean, I was exposed to it. Remember at the UFC in the early nineties. Right, right. Uh, so I think I really, I think the first time I grappled with like a black belt, I think I was probably 25, 26 years old. I, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, couldn't do anything. It's like, man, I got. I have that problem I, with purple belts. Huh. So. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't go away, by the way. Uh, there's always somebody that's going to make you feel like that. So, uh, but yeah, I was like, God, I got to do this too. This is, I, I can't not do this. So, yeah, I, start, I started taking it more seriously in the, in the late 90s. But remember, I started doing Muay Thai. So it was like I was kind of off and on with it. I would train and then I'd have, get a fight opportunity for Muay Thai. So I'd kind of put that on the back burner. And then as I started, as my fight career started ending, then I started just doing way more jujitsu. It's like now I have the time to do this. Now I have, I can put more energy into this. So, and you know, for me, jujitsu is, it's still super challenging. I find it incredibly challenging. Um, Maybe because I started doing striking arts and that was, I was kind of did that as a youth and it just came up with it. So jujitsu has always been, I feel like it's been more difficult for me. Um, but I think that probably helps me, you know, can help me become a better teacher. It's a little bit harder for me, I think. Um, but still I, it's the same thing with, with jujitsu, the respect that you have for it and you realize how, incredible people can get at it and how far you can take it, how much you can get better. And I think also too with jujitsu, even as an older person, you can keep chipping away at it and keep getting better and better and better. Keep refining it, refining it over and over. Um, so yeah, it's a amazing art too. I mean, Muay Thai, jujitsu, if you think about it, those are kind of the two, I mean, though, after everything's said and done, you know, you have wrestling, of course, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, Muay Thai. Yeah, that, these arts are kind of the ones that are on top, I would say. It's kind of, you got to know a good amount of each one of these things to... Yeah, the case study of the UFC <laughs> and the other organizations has sort of filtered it. Yeah, Definitely. If you're going to have fights and the fight game is going to evolve, it's going to, it's going to become apparent what's, what's needed to be done. <laughs> That's for sure. Fucking cardio. <laughs> yeah, cardio. Um, yeah, your point, what the hell? Dude, I'm better with beer. <laughs> Don't do it. No. Dude. What was your favorite belt level? Like or your favorite I think, era uh, of training jujitsu. Purple belt. Why? Because I feel like you're you know you're at a point where you're starting to understand it a little bit better. You're starting to you get into that flow where you your moves are flowing better, and you're just and also too maybe there's not as much expected of you. I mean, blue and purple. There's not as much expected of you to be some type of killer. Um, yeah, it, there's a lot of, there's kind of that pressure, right? You're supposed to be, you know, once you, once you move up these ranks, you're supposed to people, the idea is that you're supposed to be able to just crush, crush everybody. If you're, I think more people don't have that idea now, but you know, is that same thing true in like Taekwondo? Where as they go up the ranks, there's this like reverence and there's this idea. A little, I think a little bit. 
I think a little bit, yeah. I think that sort of instructor level is like, yeah, there's this reverence or whatever. Um, but yeah, it just, it doesn't necessarily work that way. <laughs> you know, not everybody can beat everybody. There's, there's black belts and there's black belts. I mean, the level that people can get to, again, is just amazing. But there can be a bl- one black belt. I've seen black belts just absolutely destroy other black belts. Is that guy who lost, is he not a black belt? Well, of course he is. All the sweat and pain and injuries and years on the mat and his understanding of the of the basics of, of jiu-jitsu, he understands it too. He's just not at the not at the same level or athleticism as the other guy and it's like multi billionaires compared to billionaires. Like that dude's kinda, rich and that dude's rich. That guy did it. You know. Yeah, I kinda kinda see it that way. Um and people should see it that way, I think. It's still person still put in all that effort and all those years and um there's still there's still a black belt there's just different levels there's different levels man but yeah i think i think purple belt was fun you just start feeling like you're you're just getting better and you can you can flow um but yeah as you get up there i i've seen people get their black belt and and just be um it's not as fun anymore because now they're worried that they have to. I mean, there should be some responsibility, I think, of really putting work into yourself and staying in shape and doing that if you're going to be on the mat. But um, they're kind of worried, you know, because they they're worried about people beating them and stuff and losing on the mat and losing. And the last conversation I have had uh, was with uh, Alex Avedikian. I know for a fact I just said that wrong. <laughs> um, but he he talked about kind of going back to your point about just appreciating like the process and the journey yeah, you know, yeah. of it is when he got his black belt in judo, like it was the best moment of his life or one of them. Like that was the one of the best days. And then the next day felt like one of the worst in a way because it was like, okay, I'm here now. Yeah. He's at the top. Yeah. I I did what I wanted to do. Am I am I done? Can I am I should I show up to the gym? Yeah. And it was he was so and he talked about that a lot on his episode, just being so focused on that's the thing down yeah. there. So he got there and it was sort of this massive paradigm shift for him, kind of a reset, yeah. you know. It's interesting because uh I did uh judo for about five years with our coach that we had te- had teaching at the academy his name is Danny Hutchinson amazing instructor and man judo is rough <laughs> judo is hard and a when lot of your people, weapon is the planet yeah the, uh, the ground the cold hard ground <laughs> we've talked about Danny before cause, oh have you yeah so he so I take the morning class a lot uh-huh. at M theory and he, he's there in the mornings okay. and, and he's a brown belt. Yeah. And I joke around that whenever Ishmael like bows us in and tells us to do takedowns, like I immediately turn to my left so I don't have to get yeah. thrown by Danny. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just so you, did, you did five years of judo too, huh? Yeah. God, you're a dangerous motherfucker. Dude, judo. Okay. So judo, is like the Muay Thai of, it's like the striking of, of the 
grappling arts kind of i because it's it's so rough it, you know the gentle art right right the gentle way it's brutal it's it's brutal it's i mean obviously it's so technical and but it's rough and it's that grip fighting and the pulling and the pushing and the throw and the landing on the ground uh it's rough and it's completely appealing to me uh so appealing but it's it hurts and uh you know i felt like sometimes we're doing sparring i'd show up on a saturday morning and i'm like ah today might be the day that i that i something really bad happens uh but there it was, it was thrilling right uh but yeah i i love judo i think it's amazing art and it's very difficult and uh I got my brown belt and it was, it meant a lot. It meant a lot because I trained really hard and it hurts and I just put a lot of discipline into it. And, uh, how old were you when you started that? Uh, I, th- I think like 44. Yeah. That feels like a late fucking start to something like judo. Yeah. So luckily, you know, you know I've been doing this so for sure. so long yeah. that I'm still in shape and I don't have a ton of really bad injuries and things like that. Yeah. So I could still, still do it. There's no couch to judo program for somebody that's 45 yeah. years old though. I feel like, yeah, I mean, you got to be at the right place and at the, with train with smart people. Yeah, and for sure. so they take that into consideration. I mean, yeah. a lot of times younger people, they don't understand what it's like to be 40 or 50. They don't get it. I didn't get it when I was a kid. You just don't understand what that, what that's like, and also too, over all the years, you if you gotta realize someone competed, whether it's jujitsu or muay thai, whatever it is, all those years of of training and competing, they're gonna have injuries. If they were a competitor, they they might have some bad injuries. And you're 25, and you're just gonna crank on them like that's not cool. You should have a different. You should be. You should understand that. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I like the person you were talking about getting their black belt because you you got to put a lot of work into that thing and it hurts and it's tough. So I felt getting that brown belt in judo was was uh, was really cool. It was cool. I felt great about that. But uh, What's your throw? Uh, I really liked... Uh, I really like the foot sweeps more than, you know. Same. I have a, yeah. I have a recent infatuation with that. It, it just seems like, like judo seems like poetry. It's like the physical manifestation of poetry with violence. But the foot yeah. sweeps are so subtle. Oh, they yeah. They appear so totally. subtle and they almost yeah. appear easy. and Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Like that timing, as soon as the person touches their foot, barely touches their foot to the ground yeah. and you can catch it. Man, that's uh, that's you know, kind of old man judo. It's super refined. I like it more now. Yeah, and you don't have to. Those falls aren't as hard. Right. You don't have to, you know. And it is incredibly difficult to pull that stuff off. Mm-hmm. And if you can pull off those foot sweeps like that, it's you're you're really refined judo. So yeah, I like I like them too. I like that too. Yeah, getting thrown is rough. And at the academy, we have kind of a sort of it's like a spring floor. Yeah. It doesn't have the metal springs, but mm-hmm. it's like this, um, these foam blocks under there. 
that uh, one of our uh, one of our black belts, Kyle Cheney, he 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 built it. Yeah, he was telling me about it. He basically tore all this up, yeah. built that in, put everything back. Kyle was telling you? Yeah, when I was over there the other day. Yeah, yeah, he totally did it. And and it's great. It's like these, I don't know what kind of foam, it, these foam blocks, like every square foot or something. Sure. So it's like a spring floor. There's but so much more give. Totally. Than, uh, didn't he build the rock climbing walls too or something? He I think pointed so. to them. He's built a bunch of stuff in there. Yeah, Kyle's a renaissance man. That yeah, he put up the mirror. He put up the mirrors and shit. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. He's he's a smart dude. He's He's a killer on the ground. Really, really good. Um, but we've been doing... Uh, also, too, uh, we've been doing, like, firearms training. Yeah. We've been doing that, too. Uh, me and Kyle and, and Greg and... Uh, Todd Fossey. Todd, do you know him? No, nope, yeah. but I've reached out, and I'm going to reach out again to yeah. him come sit down. He's super smart. And what is it, IDS? He's so creative. Integrative Defense Strategies? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. So we've been doing that. That's kind of the latest thing we, mm-hmm. we've that sort of pandemic, yeah. um, pandemic training right. this past year and, um, super fun, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that taking falls on that floor is much better than, yeah. you know, going to add a easy. few years for you, right? Yeah. I think that was a lot, uh, easier to learn on that floor. You watch guys, you, there's like clips of people training like in Haiti and they're training on like sand and a tarp, you know, and doing full throws on the on the tarp. And yep, uh, when I chatted on here with Pat Worley, he was talking. Oh, about, you talked to Pat Worley? Yeah, yeah, that's he, awesome. He was talking about just whatever floor was available. Yeah, I mean, it was like pavement but fights. He, I mean, stuff. he's just, old school karate, you know, or taekwondo, yeah. and they're sparring on the hardwood floor. And he probably has no teeth, huh? Like, <laughs> who knows? No, he looks good. <laughs> I've seen him do jujitsu tournaments. Yeah, so he it looks like he came out unscathed. He's a, he's like you. What I've learned about you here is a just a, a different brand of savage. Oh, I do that too. Oh, I worked on that too. <laughs> he I likes did a everything. Bit of that too. Yeah, he's he's been all over the place. Maybe not judo, if I recall. But I'm I'm super lucky that I love all the different arts. You know, I I just love all of them. There's not really many that I don't that I don't really enjoy and don't really like. Um, I don't understand how any how most people aren't like that. Like the second I get interested in a thing, and you see there's adjacent things. Oh yeah. You know, it, I just want to know more about it, even well, so, if I don't go do it as much or whatever. I was telling you about Nick Thompson. He's like, I have no understanding why you would train weaponry, like like sticks, like Filipino arts, like sticks and sword and stuff like that. He's like, I I just I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand why you would do that. Like, it doesn't sound like fun to me. But from my perspective, the all the footwork and the angles and all the... It's like, it's completely... It makes my striking better. It makes everything better. It completely fits in there with my training. And it's fun. I'm not... The other thing, too, that if you when you stop focusing on fighting, you can focus on other areas that seem really cool to you that you really like so you're not as worried about right. competition and all that yeah that just is grinding. this time i could be spending using or working on those things that i got to go compete in yeah i wouldn't have done it if i wouldn't yeah. have done that's why i i wanted to do i wanted to do more jujitsu but it's like okay i'm fighting muay thai and I, i'm getting better and I'm, I'm still competing it's like you don't 
have the energy to put into it, right. it you know really and really really focus on it you can't so, afford the energy you can't afford the you, time really yeah you can't and so when when i stopped doing fighting i'm like man okay i gotta work i gotta work on jujitsu and so that was you know jujitsu and judo it's like these are the things that i really need to work on i sort of owe it to i owe it to myself and sort of the gym too to focus on these other areas yeah you know so how long was your uh, path to black belt? I would say probably probably 12 years. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of right in that usual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably about 12 years and man, I I don't uh get in the black belt was I mean it, amazing an honor to be able to to wear that black belt under under pedro sauer and and greg nelson and but that wasn't you know that wasn't like the end all be all to me it was just i think by this by that time i just trained so many years that i wasn't that worried about it it's like whenever whenever we want to get there is fine yeah you learn the process lesson many years ago so it's just part of the process yeah it's like and i love it too so i don't care yeah. i don't really care um yeah it's a, it's the day in day out and i'll get there eventually you know i was never really worried about that so you compete in, in jiu-jitsu you've done some jiu-jitsu um tournaments? i have yeah, yeah i've done a few few tournaments um i competed in brazil and uh <laughs> so you did muay thai in thailand did Brazilian jiu-jitsu in Brazil. You did anything fighting related in Japan. This is all pretty cool. I, dude, it's so, I mean, like I like I said, looking back on all this stuff, getting to do this stuff, getting to travel and and compete and corner people and it's just yeah, it's like a, it's really amazing. Um I did a I did like a 2 week, or no, it was a 10-day um jiu-jitsu trip to brazil with pedro sauer and you go and you stay at he has these they're called posada they're posadas they're like little houses and you stay there on his on his property and you do jujitsu like three times a day for like 10 days and then at the end there's a a tournament in rio that you can do and so we did the tournament you know training and you do the tournament at the end uh just amazing just a blast super cool and uh (laughs) So that was that was a really fun trip. Um, I think my funnest, the, the most fun I've had, being Andy Gron, we went to Japan um, and did a the Asian Open in Japan, IBJJF, and so competing, doing jujitsu in Japan was right. like super cool. Yes. We went to we went to the Kodokan, you know, the, the judo hall, and um, we went to the. Uh, graves of the 46 ronin do you know that story tell me so these samurai they're the lord that they were serving under was forced to commit ritual suicide for i don't i'm not sure what for but it was it was wrong they forced him to and yeah, they forced him to to commit suicide, and so all these 
it was it was like a crime and all these samurai plotted for i think a year or two to kill the person who was responsible this super powerful lord and um i'm probably butchering this story but it's, it's basically it and he um so they've they just clandestinely trained and scoped everything out for a year and did all this work to to plot this attack and then they stormed the guy's castle or whatever and took his head and then they all committed suicide because they knew that they would so they all committed ritual suicide and I think a lot of their families did too like their wife and uh so we they have there's a there's a place in in Tokyo there's like a a shrine and then the graves are there so you can go and visit. So right before the tournament, we went there. And you light incense at each of the graves. That was cool. That was so cool. So I, that's one of the funnest trips I've, I've had. And so then we, we did the competition and stuff. We were only there for like four days or something. We just flew in and flew out. But it's still one of, one of the more memorable trips that I've had. Right. So... And that quote-unquote ancillary stuff that people do when they travel for fights or lifting meets or ball games and whatever, those are always the stories that you tell. Yeah. Because you know, that's the crazy yeah, part. The tournament was cool, but all that yeah. other stuff that we did, um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the really memorable stuff. You know, the after, the after fight, the after fight stuff that happens too yeah. can yeah. get a little bit crazy. Even this bullshit. The conversations we tend yeah. to have upstairs after we're yeah. done recording those are always the best podcasts yeah. but i'm never <laughs> yeah, yeah. recording it you know? it's always the after party stuff yeah. paulie what was that detail do you uh think? he was forced to perform seppuku uh, yes for assaulting a powerful court official named kira yoshinaka if this is correct yeah is that wikipedia yep yeah and so then all the ronin plotted and yep. like like one samurai, they 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 watched them too because they thought they were gonna try to take revenge. So they were watching them, and like trying to see what they're up to. One guy acted like drunk, like he's becoming an alcoholic, and he just acted. And other ones did things like that too to throw off the the uh, authorities. And then they stormed the the guy's house or whatever and took his head. And then they all killed themselves. It's a really big story. I mean, it's a huge part of I mean everyone knows that story yeah, in the Japan. lore yeah, yeah. Will, yeah. it's part of the I mean there's there's so many things like that in in Japanese culture that are I mean it's just part of the mm-hmm. it's part of their culture I mean this says it's the 47 Ronin oh 47 47 Ronin nice I forgot one I forgot that guy maybe he was actually drunk so it doesn't he could have been just drunk I don't know <laughs> Yeah, forty-seven. Was there a was there a movie? Am I the, remembering that? Yeah, the word yeah. Ronin is out there, and okay. I was only vaguely familiar with this. The De Niro movie? Is it a De Niro oh, thing? So awesome. Yeah. Is it related to that? No, he's just like so. Ronin is a wandering samurai, right? Like he has no, he's not employed. He's not gainfully employed. He doesn't serve under any lord. Mm-hmm. So he's just wandering around, and uh, kind of like a. For hire, you know, just sort of he'll kind of do the independent contractor exactly. Yeah. And I think De Niro was he had been part of one of the intelligence agencies, but now he's kind of a just sort of for hire, yeah. 
fucking love that movie. We could talk about movies as just podcasts. That's a, a massive portion of a good number of these, actually. Dude, I was going to open up by saying, you were a teenager in the 80s. What's the best 80s movie? No pressure. Oh. Okay, the, you know, you can't control what comes into your head, right? Your thoughts are just, they just appear. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I thought of was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. Just a classic. You guys know that movie? Yeah, of course. Paulie's closer to your age than mine, so Paulie. Oh, you know, called Spicoli knows once or twice. You have? Did you, <laughs> did you used to have long hair? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Just a couple weeks ago. Just like two weeks ago. Are you yeah. serious? How long was it? Uh, it was pretty long, but it's been much longer at various times. My hair my used to be to, yeah. down to here, and I had like a, you know. I mean, that was that was when I was 18 years old, but. Still fantastic. Great. It was it was fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> what about Vision Quest? You know, I gotta say that I just didn't. All right, fucking podcast over. <laughs> I know okay. that I should know it, right? But I just I was not into wrestling in the eighties. I just didn't get it. I didn't understand what it was. I yeah. really wish I would have done it because I know that I would have probably loved it. You know, right? It's just you just didn't know yet. I just didn't understand, but. Yeah, I'm like, um, I'm known for remembering movie lines and all bits of arcane, useless yeah. uh, knowledge. You're a, a guy, and that's what we do. We just remember stuff that, yeah, you don't yeah. need. Yeah. Forget about the important shit. <laughs> you ready to go for what? Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Tell me about Corner and Fighters. It's great. I, yeah, I really enjoy doing that. And or tell me, I'm just going to spit a couple. I want to know about Corner and Fighters. I want to know about like the wildest or best fight-related memory you have from the Corner or yourself. Uh, well... You, if you want, you can make up something fucking crazy. Because <laughs> none of us will. Know I don't it. have to. I got some. Let's do it. So, uh, yeah, cornering can be. I mean, depending on how close you are with the fighter, your relationship with the fighter, it can be really, really stressful because, man, you you're you don't want anything to happen to them. And you want what's best for them. And you care for them. And so that can be difficult sometimes, I think. Maybe for for a good number of people. Because you just, you don't want them to get hurt. You want them to have a good outcome. You want them to be happy. So I've experienced that before where I was just, you know, that kind of got, it was was more stressful for me. um, Cornering. But usually, man, if they train hard and they're, and they, uh, they're coming out there to to do their best. I f- I feel pretty pretty good about it, even if they lose or whatever. But I'm usually not that worried about about fighters. But um, just like anything, you you come in with a solid game plan. Yeah, make a few notes along good. the way. Just do what we came and plan to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's just like uh, any experience. I think the more you do it, the less emotional you are and you're not not that worried about it but the the biggest thing too i think about about cornering and 
being a coach in that environment is that you can't give these difficult instructions or it it has to be incredibly simple and it has to cut straight to the point because in that environment there you, there's not a lot of thinking going on there's not a lot of time to do this or do that or do the other thing so it your goal is to in the smallest amount of words say what you need to say to do what's best for them for their the best thing for them to think about or to do like um, punch that guy yeah punch, punch that him. dude the other thing too is like I, you hear people don't do that stop dropping your hands yeah don't block that kick don't, don't you're getting kicked you know and they're they're being negative yeah ne- negative verbiage is never good in a coaching situation and that was one thing too is that i i remember catching myself doing like oh stop doing and i'm like and that was one thing too just to keep refining that into positive being positive not negative block the kick not don't get kicked yeah yeah one of those sounds really unhelpful right also too the other thing too is that judges can hear you Mm. so the judges are hearing what you're saying too you know even subconsciously getting influenced by how that fight's going. I would going. think so. Yeah, it's just human nature. I would think so. So you try to, yeah, I try to be smart. And um, it's yeah. a far less dynamic environment, but I'll, I, I, I liken it to if I'm at a powerlifting meet with a, a lifter and you're standing there next to them, they're waiting for their name to be called to try and lift this weight that uh-huh. they've never lifted before. I always say, pull really hard. That's great. What the fuck? You it. know, if there's anything more to be said, we fucked up. Like, yeah. we're running behind already. You know what to do. Just go do it. Yeah. You know, within reason. It's a much less dynamic environment, but... Mm, I don't know. You know. It's, I'm, I'm sure it's super intense. Well, but I mean, it goes up in a straight line or it doesn't. You know, it's not going to punch you back. Yeah. I would still... I, I would imagine that that bar can cause some damage. It can land on your foot. It's never happened. Dude, ter- I mean... <laughs> can't imagine how badly you can hurt yourself for sure yeah things can go wrong yeah. but like the game plan is very simple mm-hmm. you know and i would assume with a fight the game plan has more tentacles but fundamentally comes down to the yeah. game plan execute and you you know it's it's really kind of psychological too if you if you feel really comfortable with your with your corner and you have confidence in them and you know that it's like they're just there to support you because you're out there alone and what i've noticed a lot of fighters they just want you there to support them it's not like you're you're gonna do that much it's already done all that work's kind of already done you're just you're supporting them your water bottle squirter well they trust you they trust you and they and you make them feel stronger when you're there so there's a lot of you know there's a lot a lot going on there. I think that they they want you there because you just are. They know that you support them and they know you got them. Hmm. Um, not that you're going to give them some incredible insight in the middle of the thing. I right. mean, you're going to give them great advice and but uh, yeah, I think uh, I mean I traveled a lot with with Nick Thompson and when he was. He fought for Bodog. I don't think anybody really remembers that very well, but 
it was uh in, the organization was run by like this super wealthy guy named Calvin Ayer and it was the amount of money that he spent on that thing was crazy so we would travel he would send us to Costa Rica Russia Canada but then they would put us up in these like incredible hotels with like the per diem was like a hundred dollars a day or something. So you just could eat whatever you want and go. It was crazy. It was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was plush. Um, but yeah, we went to, uh, we went to Costa Rica for like two weeks, stayed in this super nice resort and he had the fights at the resort and, uh, yeah, that'll never happen again. But <laughs> you know what awesome. I mean? That, what that hat, what, what he did there, I don't think that'll ever happen again, right. you know? But uh, yeah, we went to St. Petersburg, Russia, and he beat uh, he beat Eddie Alvarez in in St. Petersburg. You guys remember that? That's for the championship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. Odd. I didn't realize that was in Russia, though. I yeah, guess. it was in St. Petersburg. It, that place is beautiful. It's beautiful. But in the front row was Putin. Uh, Berlusconi from uh, Italy and then sitting right next to him was uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme like in the front row <laughs> sitting with these two you know with Putin and there's like just gangster ass security everywhere yeah. the- there's a handful of countries leaders I don't want hanging out yeah and there's two of them there three yeah, so, I mean Jean-Claude. I think Berlusconi might be in jail I, I think he might be in jail right now. Fact check. He got. He You're got offending the house Italian. He's like, wait oh, a minute, sorry, just because he's from Italia. <laughs> no offense. He's from Italia. I love Berlusconi. No, I don't know anything about him, but I think he did. Uh, I think he came under. That's kind of the next step. Once you get to that level of like bureaucratic leadership, now you got to get busted for something. And go he to came prison. under some scrutiny for something or other. Yeah. How many How many countries you've been to with all these fight endeavors? Mm, I don't know, you know, Costa Rica, Russia, Japan, Thailand, Canada, of course. Mm, Brazil. I think that's it. And a handful of continents too. Yeah, I nice. Super cool. cool. Yeah, I didn't I hadn't traveled out of the country. I think I went to Mexico before I was thirty, but none of this happened until after thirty. When the fight game started really, you know, in the 2000s, the fight game really changed. Really, really started to change. Um, And it's just been growing ever since. So we were kind of, it just came all around us. It just grew up around us. And, you know, I remember it was like, hey, we were traveling so much and, and, taking these just super long flights to different places and after a while people someone would say hey i got a fight in uh i got a fight in japan can you corner me and i was like oh dude you know i don't 13 hour flight two of them because you gotta get back right i just complained about the uh, flight to louisville last week so (laughs) well there is a global pandemic it sucks more right but yeah, I mean, I hate I hate to say that I kind of at some point I was really tired of traveling and I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do that. Every time I went, it was super fun, but 
you know, it's kind of daunting, these long flights. Whereas before, yeah. you're like, yes, let's go. It's right. going to be great. That's um, everything. Everything kind of wears off and wears on you. I went to Japan yeah. with uh, Nick Thompson. Um, and uh, you guys know Nick Lentz, who fights in the UFC? Uh, he went with us. And, um, man, you know those... I don't know if you guys know. You know, in Japan, they have these arcades where, you know, with these different uh, sort of games that you can play with a crane where you can pick like this prize up and drop it into the... Mm-hmm. These things are everywhere. Yeah. And these these uh, stuffed animals and these stuffed characters, you can only get in those machines in Japan. You can't buy them anywhere else. You have to win them. <laughs> and Nick Lentz is a master at the at those the crane, crane games. The crane game? Yeah. And he uh he would go into those arcades and win bags full of those things. They're like collectors items. And then I think he sold them on eBay for a ton of money. Of course. That's the very next thing I was thinking. Well that that's where the, I don't know if they still call him this. They still call him the Carney. We used to call him the Carney cuz he showed up at the hotel with bags of these stuffed animal things and Japanese people were like you you win this and he was like yeah and they were like clapping and st- they were, they couldn't believe it they were amazed what are your biggest life's achievements well I'm a fighter in the UFC I know. and I'm a kick-ass crane game guy. I know and and uh, I think Thompson was like what are you some type of carny freak or something mm-hmm. and then I think after that he called him the carny but yeah. that's how you get nicknames that's good pretty cool I mean yeah it was funny but uh yeah, we had some crazy, crazy things happen. I mean, the that that Russia trip. Lizzie, just pulls up the Kearney. <laughs> so it's, that did stick. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, Nick Lentz is awesome. Uh, yeah, the the Russia trip is. I mean, that is legendary. The the uh, trip to uh, Saint Petersburg. Because after the fight, they took us to this gigantic pirate ship on the water. And it had the sails and it was humongous. And you walk into it and it's bars and different floors of all this stuff. And there's naked ladies painted. Naturally. With the flags of different countries mm-hmm. and they're walking around with hors d'oeuvre trays yep. and there was a boxing ring with midgets mm-hmm. f- I'm sorry little people fighting the naked ladies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with boxing gloves on this all seems uh, you know <laughs> and there's cargo nets where they got to climb up these ladders and there's cargo nets of ladies in bikinis grappling in these nets yeah yeah and there's just gangsters walking around with pinstripe suits. And mm-hmm. I mean, I it was the weirdest scene I've ever. <laughs> I mean, we tell a story and people are like, yeah, right. Give me a break. It's bullshit. No, it's it was really it was insane. And uh, yeah, they started those gangsters would not let us not drink. And it was it was disastrous. It was disastrous. <laughs> uh the absinthe came out. Uh, yeah, it was bad news. You've drank that before? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Kids, do not drink He's about absinthe. To. 
What's that? He's about to drink it. Now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time. Um so but yeah, we, we made it out alive. Thompson won the belt, beat Eddie Alvarez, which, you know, he's an amazing fighter. And so that was a huge triumph. And uh yeah. Every time I see Nick Thompson, which was last night, we th- that Russia trip comes up because it was just was crazy and then we got on a pl- airplane and we woke up in france um six hours later so nick still had the belt on <laughs> he still had the belt on he didn't take it off um yeah like i said we super lucky to travel to all yeah. these different places right that it, it, it's not your goal when you're 18 years old starting to learn how to fight but once you land there and you're looking back on it, you realize that was the best part, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't uh, you can't really put a price on doing all that stuff with your closest compadres, you mm-hmm. know. Definitely, you cannot, you can't put a price on that, on all that, all those, uh, all those times. Also, too, seeing the being in the corner for those triumphs. You know, and also to be, you know, with people that you train with and that you help train and that you corner and travel with to see their triumph, to be in the ring and to fight and to win and then to look at your closest people in the corner, to see the look on their face and them enjoying your victory too. It's, that's the best. That's the best thing. You know, and the loss, the losses too, are t- are are rough. But obviously, that's part of the the same coin. But um, yeah, that victory, seeing it and feeling it, being a part of that. You know, being whether you're in the ring or in the corner, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Best martial arts movie or favorite. Let me think. Let me think here, dude. This is always the highest pressure question for some reason. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, that's good. Um, Nobody will beat Pat Worley's answer, I don't think. Really? But, but let's hear what you got. Uh, well, okay, so it depends on what year, right? Because Enter the Dragon, obviously, the Bruce Lee, just amazing. I mean, that that as a kid, that was... Uh, this is actually one of the first movies I myself went and bought. Oh, really? You know, it was like DVD. Yeah, it was yeah, many, yeah. many years later. But like, I remember like the first like five movies I bought on DVD because it was still a reasonably new technology at the time. And yeah. I was spending my own money and that was one of them. Yeah, it's badass. Uh, Karate Kid. Remember when Karate Kid came out? Yes. No. You don't? I mean, yeah. I was like, How old are you? I'm 36. Oh shit! So uh, I was probably alive at the time. Yeah, but probably, was it like eighty four, eighty five? Yeah, I, came I think out? it was eighty three or eighty four, something uh-huh. like that. Then I wasn't alive, so uh, that I don't think people realize what a phenomenon that was. I mean, that was huge for martial arts. That was like so big, and I saw that, and I, I yeah, that really sealed it. And if you watch it now, it's super cheesy, but yes. it's still. There's still like 
morals of the story that are so powerful that are they're just they're timeless so even though it's it's kind of cheesy it's still i i see it and i'm like it's still it's still really cool to me it's still really great well and a fun movie is a fun movie like just again oh i mean think about it he's getting beaten up yeah he's getting bullied yeah and he meets this guy and the guy teaches him and trains him to the italian kid wins it's obvious right (laughs) did he though (laughs) on the long i don't know that was pat worley's answer karate kid yeah but i was like why is that and he said it was great for business absolutely no there's no doubt that that completely filled the karate taekwondo halls i mean absolutely which is also to say led a lot of people to a thing to improve their life absolutely that they never would have had there's no doubt i can't imagine how great for business that was for for pat how old is pat 73 or four yeah something like that so it must have you know he was at the height of his building his business yeah i'm sure i mean it must have been just a flood of new recruits yeah i do like those like inflection points where something becomes popular again or interesting like the chess thing with that uh, queen's gambit queen's gambit yeah like good go learn chess yeah why not go do stuff yeah it's really cool um so that was the first thing he said. Yeah, that would have been, yeah, who would have been running his business at that time? I was 13 or 14. So it was, that really sealed it. If I had been not been doing karate at that time, I immediately went back during that time period. That was a big phenomenon. But before that, yeah, it was Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris. Those were the movies of the, of the time. And then Saturday morning was Kung Fu Theater. I don't know if you remember that. USA, right? Yeah. On yeah. USA Network? I think so. I think so. So that would come on at like 11 or 12 every Saturday, and I would watch that. And I just remember my old man was just like, I can't understand how you can watch this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? It's so awesome. I, I just, I loved it, you know. He just didn't get it. It was funny. He thought martial arts were cool, but he just, the movies were so bad, right? He's yeah. Like, God. Also, too, he couldn't stand the smell of the karate school. He just, he just couldn't. He's like, man, I know you love karate, but it just stinks in there. <laughs> <laughs> smells like feet. Yeah, you well, know, that's what this smells like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a question I asked jujitsu black belts roughly at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Not that this needs to be the end. I got all day. Whatever. Paulie doesn't, but he doesn't need to be here. <laughs> uh, so, but I, you're all over the goddamn map. So I'm going to yeah. frame it more broadly. The, okay. the, the question I ask is: Give advice. What advice would you give to each belt rank? Uh, but you can take that as broad, like yeah, somebody wanting to get into fighting, somebody wanting to get into martial arts. However, you want to dispense yeah, I, some advice. I think. Uh, Kind of the main thing, you know, I mean, I really think the question, it depends on sort of the age, sort of the age group, you know, especially with, with fighting and with martial arts in general too, because if you're older, you're probably, you know, getting into fighting as you get older, you can do it, but it, it might not be as good for you 
to do something like that. But if you're if you're young and you want to get into into fighting, first you need to realize that you need to fall in love with the training and with the day in day out learning. That has to be a passion for you. Because if you don't have that, the fighting is not going to it's not going to really be a good idea for you to do. So you really need to fall in love with that. And also too, if you start doing martial arts and you're pretty good at it and you really enjoy it and you do a fight or you do competition and you don't like it, it doesn't matter. Keep doing it. Keep training. I've seen people quit sometimes when they do their fight and they're like, man, this isn't for me. But they're great martial artists. They're really good at this stuff. I would say just keep keep doing it. And I some I see this a lot. People do a fight and they quit. Even if they did pretty well in the fight, they're just like, yeah, okay, I did it. But again, they're missing out on all the great things that come with, with martial arts over the years. They could be an instructor. They could help corner fights. They could help do so many different things and be a huge part of it and not be a fighter. You know, they might be a great coach and not fight, you know? So that's kind of my main advice is again, that you could really fall, fall in love with the process and being, having this be your lifestyle. Even if you're not going to fight, just being in the lifestyle is, is a very powerful thing. And different things are going to happen to you as you get older, as the years go by. It's going to be a vehicle for you to overcome all kinds of things that happen in your life that you never foresee. So, Any other thoughts or shout-outs, expressions of gratitude, anything? Oh, man. Challenge anybody? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, all this talk about all this history and stuff, I just have to give, I just have to give thanks to all my instructors over the years. Um yeah, even, you know, even my first karate instructor, you know, Victor Murata, I don't even know if he would remember me, but that guy had a huge impact on me as a youth. I mean, he kept me out of trouble. He was a role model. I mean, it was, that had a, had a big impact on my life. So, and all through the years, all the different people that I've trained with, I, I've met some of the best people ever in martial arts. Definitely. The best people I've ever met are in martial arts. Um, of course, where I'm at today and where I'm still at, you know, I've been at the Academy since 1997 or 98. Through all the ups and downs, through Greg Nelson almost dying and almost the school almost... who You know, we didn't know what was going to happen during that time period. And he came back and he's stronger than ever. You know, so after all these years, I'm, I'm just really glad and privileged to be, to be where I'm at at this school and all this, the great students we have and the culture that I'm a pri privileged to be a part of the great culture that we have, um, you know, and all the students and all the instructors that help make that possible. So, and then we're getting through a global pandemic and we're all, we're all keeping going. We're not going to stop. And uh, I'm glad people want to want to keep going. And I think we're going to get stronger as we move through this thing.
I think I honestly think the best years are are ahead. So, yeah, appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you. Really enjoyed this. Definitely.